Hello and welcome to another Eurovision for Real podcast. It's Alicia Michelle and this episode of course is really special. I mean every episode is special but I do feel like Eurovision season has truly, truly kicked off because we have our host city. Liverpool is going to be hosting Eurovision 2023 and it's crazy because Liverpool was the underdog and I I don't know about y'all but I definitely am a fan of the underdog because, I mean, I think Glasgow was just, I mean, beating, defying the odds. And so we're going to break down, you know, all things Liverpool in today's episode. I'm going to be talking about what makes the city special. And of course, because this is Eurovision for real, we're going to keep the conversation real talk. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, what are you waiting for? It's Eurovision for real podcast. We've got a long season ahead of us, so this is the moment that you want to take to subscribe, and I'm just so ready to get in this conversation. We've got a, we've got a lot of things to cover. This is really exciting. Your vision for real with Alicia Michelle. <laughs> okay, so we are back, and let's just hop into the episode. So I'm going to give you my first sort of reaction. <laughs> When I found out that Liverpool was hosting, you know, it was something about the whittle down to Glasgow and Liverpool for me that did. And I'm not saying this because it's like, oh, Alicia, you're just going to say, because I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, let me just start off and say I was wrong. I thought that Glasgow and Manchester were the clear front runners. Okay. There you go. It's your vision for real. So I'm keeping it real with you. I was wrong. I thought that just, yes, clearly Glasgow and Manchester were the front runners and the rest were there. But I mean, to be fair, I thought that the UK, unlike some other, you know, host city bids and runs, I mean, look, the UK had viable options. Liverpool was a viable option. Birmingham was a viable option. I mean, so look, I was wrong because I did think that really the two front runners were Glasgow and Manchester. So I was wrong. But I will say this. When we had narrowed things down between Glasgow and Liverpool, I did think to myself, I was like, okay, if Liverpool has already kind of defied the odds at this point and eliminated Manchester, which I think was a big front runner, and a, there was a lot of um, buzz around Manchester as a possible host, I was kind of like, there has to be something there. Like, they wouldn't just keep them around, like, for nothing, you know? And and then I do think we have to think about the implications of the Queen. I, I did raise sort of in my first reaction, you know, when we were getting our host countries, like, sort of, our host cities whittled down and we had the full list, and after the passing of the Queen, I did think to myself, like, oh... I don't know if they're going to want to do it in Scotland now. Like, I don't know if they're going to want to do that, just given the amount of tourism and everything. Like, Scotland might just say, hey, look, y'all, we just kind of want to focus on one thing. And although there is a fair amount of distance between Edinburgh and Glasgow, I mean, I think it's still a fair, it's still a fair thing. And, and if they wanted to be safe, it makes sense to maybe create a little bit of distance. I get it. I get it. But Liverpool, you know, I, I think hands down, 
my favorite videos that were on the Eurovision.tv site, and I was honest with y'all, it was the LVP and Birmingham. Birmingham had a really good video, and the LVP was hands down my favorite video. It's the LVP. Yeah, I, I need to, you know what, I might interview the folks who did that song. I, I think that that's, that's a podcast episode coming up. Because literally this entire Eurovision season, I hope y'all are ready. I'm ready. I don't think y'all are ready because I'm, I'm essentially going to be saying, it's the LVP all season long. You're going to be so sick of me. You're going to be so sick of me because we're going to the LVP. Yeah, but my first reaction was sort of like, okay, I see you BBC kind of throwing the curveball. I see you EBU trying to kind of do a little bit of a PR punch and like pick a surprise um, host city because look, it's a surprise. That's no shade to Liverpool or anything like that. But I think in the larger discussions, this was a little bit of like a, ooh, like, oh, oh, they went with Liverpool. Okay. You know, of course, again, viable options, all viable options. But it was still a little bit of a surprise pick. And I think that that's really exciting. So, yeah, my first reaction was kind of like, ooh, oh, oh, wow. Okay. I see you. I see you. You know, so that's not too, that's not too bad. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good reaction. You know, it could, it could be worse, you know, but, but yeah, I was thinking to myself, yeah, this, this seems like a pretty, pretty cool place. And again, it's the LVP. Okay. Yeah. Y'all are going to be sick of me. Now, this is the thing. I think the real curious thing, and I'm hoping that more articles come out, I want to hear when they were looking at it, I want to hear what that process was like. I, I want to get the breakdown and not the PR breakdown of, oh, you know, with its rich history and music and proximity to the sea, we just thought it would be a great place to host. No, 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 no. I want the real conversations, okay? This is the Eurovision for Real podcast. And I want to get the real deal. I want them to be like, well, you know, in the meetings that we were having with Glasgow, we were telling them, yeah, we need to have the features for this, this, and this. And the team there was kind of letting us know that maybe our dreams wouldn't be possible. Maybe our dreams wouldn't be able to be reality. And Liverpool just seemed more open. I want the real deal. I want the real, like, breakdown. I want it. We deserve it. I mean, and this is also helpful for other cities who want to put a bid in to host Eurovision to know what this sort of modern team is looking for. So I, I would really love like the lowdown and it doesn't have to be dirty, but just, you know, the honest thing, because let's be real. When I Google Liverpool, the first thing that comes up is the soccer club, <laughs> which low key feels so whack to me. Like, that to me would be the equivalent. Like, if I was a, what, Scalza, and someone, you know, Googled my city, I wouldn't want the first thing to be, like, my soccer club. That's, I mean, that's the equivalent of people Googling Washington, D.C., and the Washington football team, the commanders pop up. Uh-uh. I ain't into it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't need it. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I'm kind of like, that's a bummer that your whole city in some weird way gets whittled down to the football club. Like, that's crazy. It's, you have to put down, like, Liverpool City in Google 
for them to just give you the facts of the city. That kind of sucks. And we're going to change that with Eurovision. We're going to change that. We're going to put Liverpool on the map. And you know, that's actually sort of one of the beautiful things of Eurovision. I always, well, I should say when I first started getting into Eurovision and going back and watching a lot of the contests in the 90s and the 2000s, it was always interesting to me how how much of a role, like kind of the touristy element of the show was. Because it was like, it was like sort of this glorified long form ad of visit Turkey, you know, <laughs> you know, visit here, you know, and, and I kind of love that. That's actually one of the aspects of Eurovision that I find really, really interesting. And I, I, I actually really like that aspect of the show. So I don't mind the postcards that focus a little bit on the city and focus on the settings and, and all of that cool stuff. So, so just throwing it out there, I'm hoping that this Liverpool hosting of Eurovision allows Liverpool to show a little bit more of their identity and not just, you know, that they have this really dominant, successful um, soccer team uh, and, you know, European football, football. But uh, let, me, let me break down some Liverpool facts because, you know, we got to get ourselves hype. This is, this is our host city. It's our host city. So it's the fifth largest city in the UK. So that means it's not a huge, huge city. And I think the benefit of that really for Eurovision fans is, you know, the opportunity to really have a chance to kind of, I hate to say take over the city, but allow that city really just to feel like Eurovision for, you know, and I think usually it's like three weeks, but I, I think we've condensed it for like those two weeks, you know, those two solid weeks, and maybe this only turns into one week, but that it really feels like the city is alive with music of Europe uh, for Eurovision. So, so I think there's an opportunity there with it being the fifth largest city in the UK. Population of 2.24 million. Okay, we're doing that. I love the fact that it's a city on the water. I've said this before, but I just think that there's a different energy when you are in a city center where there's water. The way that the air kind of like coming into the city fills the streets, it, it it's just a different feel than when you're in sort of like a landlocked city. Neither good nor bad, just different, just a different vibe. And I personally am a water person. I'm a water girl. My birthday's in July, so... Yeah, so I, I I love the fact that it's by the water, and it just offers a, a chance for folks to, you know, maybe be outside and enjoy the weather. Pray for good weather. I don't know. Everyone's been talking about how Eurovision in the UK, it's like, because the weather, I guess, is normally not always that great. But, you know, even if it's cloudy, looking at the water, I think that that's something. I really do think that it's something. And, of course... I mean, I think that Liverpool, you know, being like the home of the Beatles, literally the most influential band of all time, <laughs> you know, that's huge. That's huge. It's huge. And, and I mean, look, the Beatles aren't the only ones. Um, we've got some other, uh, other musical groups that, that have been from Liverpool. Do y'all know? I'm going to say it. They have um, relax. Don't do it. 
in, aren't they from Liverpool? Aren't they? I guess I could Google it. And then, um, and then, oh wait, and I ran, I ran so far, right? Right? That's Flock of Seagulls, right? And I ran, I ran so far away. Yeah, that's dope. Ooh, because they have a lot of the 80s bands. I think I said this before. Ooh, could we get, I would love a little, a little medley. That would be good. Relax, don't do it. Okay, and then, um, oh, and then the song, there she goes. There, okay, yeah. So, I mean, it really is a musical city. I, I think the Beatles being home there, but I, I did say this in my live stream, in my reaction. If Ringo or Paul don't make an appearance, us having it in Liverpool is low-key a wash. If I'm a producer, I'm figuring out where's the budget, what do we need to do, we need them there. And I think I said that and someone was like, well, do they even care about Eurovision? Are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you joking? Again, the Beatles, literally the most influential band of all time. Not even my lifetime, like of all time, literally. Ringo and Paul are living. We need them at Eurovision, period. Period. I don't, like, it just, Eurovision, the song contest, the Eurovision song contest, Ringo and Paul are living, we need, them, we need them in the building. We need them in the building. Make the call now. Because literally, like, if they don't show up at all, like, I mean, just what is the point? What is the point of having it in Liverpool to a certain degree? To a certain degree. If you're on the creative team, if you're on the creative team, this is, like, your main task. Okay, we're going to shift gears. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Back to the facts. Back to the city facts. So the fact that it's by the water, I think, and I do actually think this, when you are kind of like a port city, like by the water, it does kind of create this natural opening, I think, for like immigration and different cultures and like, you know, just diverse food scenes and whatnot. So I will say, I, I have heard, I remember people said that actually it has a large population of folks that are Irish and, and Welsh. So now I will say this to Ireland, Ireland, y'all going to show up this year? Because last year y'all showed up and you didn't get your due, but trust and believe we're ready to fight for you this year. Okay. We're ready to fight for you. Uh, <laughs> but I also heard, so it's home to the oldest black community in the UK. That's cool. And the oldest Chinese community in Europe. Uh, that's pretty cool. Liverpool has like the cool Chinatown, don't they? That's dope. That's actually really dope. So that's nice. We've got, we've got some culture. And, and I learned this. So Scousers, Scousers, that's where some, some people like from Liverpool call themselves Scousers or Scouse. Okay. So I, I want all the Scousers to be giving me like random like Liverpool facts in the season. I'm ready. I'm ready to get all the facts. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think Liverpool was a really interesting choice um, for Eurovision, but I do think it's an interesting choice, sort of in alignment 
with, I think, the way the song contest has been going, where I do think, I think the creative team wants to be able to kind of pick cities that aren't going to have a whole bunch of other things going on, where it's like, yeah, everyone can just focus on this. And I think that that actually makes things really, really good for the folks that are actually, you know, experiencing Eurovision in person. And and I know that's, it's such a small part. I'm not saying that's the end all be all of Eurovision. Most people experience Eurovision on their televisions, you know, maybe on their laptops at home with friends, maybe having a watch party. I know that most people are consuming the contest that way. But I do think it does not hurt to have that in-person live experience be something fulfilling for the folks that are able um, to go. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. And yeah, I, I think, I think that this honestly, I'm like talking about it and I'm like, I think that this was probably a good choice. I think, you know, with Glasgow saved, now this might be the fire under the UK to keep giving us quality. Maybe this is what it takes to kind of ensure that, yeah, like the UK keeps showing up and, yeah, giving us that quality. Because I'll tell you, well, and honestly, Glasgow might have to compete with London. London would be really expensive. But I do feel like if the UK wins within the next seven years, which if they keep on this path, they very well could. They very well could. Then I think we'll be looking at Glasgow hosting Eurovision. And honestly, I think we probably should be. I, I don't hate the idea of London hosting capital city, all the history, tourist destination for many. But I again, I I kind of like the idea of us not doing all capital cities for Eurovision because of what I mentioned before, the ability to really have Eurovision make a stamp on that town for those two weeks of Eurovision. I, I just think, you know, it just adds to that excitement. And I think a little level of that excitement does in fact show up on the stage and, and during the production. Yes. Okay. Okay. So now... Now let's 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 get there. So I think the big question is am I going to go to Eurovision? Now normally for me to go to Eurovision, well let me just give like a background because I do think sometimes people forget this about me. Um I have a full-time job. I live in the States. I'm not like an American who lives in Europe who's interested in Eurovision. I'm an American who lives in America, <laughs> who is interested in Eurovision. And I, so I have a full-time job, so I have to like take time off from work, but I will say my job knows like how much into Eurovision I am. So the time off part isn't as bad. I will say that the time off part is not the challenge, but I've got a whole house, y'all. I have a little thing called a mortgage. <laughs> it's not that little. It's a real mortgage. I live in a house and I live in the DC area, which is one of the most expensive places to live in the continental United States. You can look it up. So, um, 
So I've got a lot of expenses just in regular life. Luckily, have a great full-time job. So, you know, there's that. Also, I think people forget I had a baby in 2020. I have a full actual toddler. Like not a child that can pee and poop on their own, even though we're working on that. We're, I am in the midst of potty training. It is insane. Send me all the advice. I'm, I will take it. Um, but yeah, I have a full child. And um, Eurovision takes a lot of my time just in like regular life. So the idea of traveling, it's, it's just a lot of other things that I have to consider at this point. You know, it's my child. It's my finances. It is, you know, how I balance work and whatnot, even though, like I said, the time off is not, not the issue with work, but I do have work. It's a high-pressure job. So there's that. So that's just, a, I, I just want to level set a little bit with, like, my life, okay, my life. And I have a whole house, and my house wasn't new development. So there's, like, things I have to, like, pay for in my house. So I say all this to say, and we're going to move on to the pivot. And I think a lot of this episode is going to be spent, you know, just talking about your vision now, your vision today. Once upon a time, you know, the song contest was something that a lot of people could, you know, travel to experience in person. And as we know, even just concerts in general, like I remember, I think for the Velvet Rope tour, Janet Jackson and NSYNC opened. My mom and I had pretty decent seats. Like we were in an amphitheater. And so this was not like an arena tour. But for that, we had pretty decent seats. We were in the covered area of the amphitheater. And I think our tickets were like $89 per person. The only reason why I know this is because I have the tickets in an album. It's the first concert that I saw in person. This is also why I have really high standards for onstage performances. Because really, my first live, like, concert, real, full-blown experience was Janet motherfucking Jackson. Okay? This is, this is why I have the standards that I have. This is why I think everything is possible. <laughs> um, so, yes, so the Janet Jackson Velvet Road Tour, first, like, concert I saw in person, okay? And we did not have a lot of money growing up, so that's why. So this concert wasn't necessarily early in life for me. It was a little bit later in life for me. I took my mom to see Bruno Mars, and this was probably... Hmm, 2019, 2019, 2018, I took, I took my mom to see Bruno Mars, Dua Lipa before she was famous, opened the show. We were in an arena, and for us to sit in the nosebleeds section, and when I say the nosebleeds, the exact actual back, backity, backity, back, back row of the arena to watch Bruno Mars perform. We were probably the farthest from the stage that you could be, each ticket was $340. That's insane. <laughs> that is insane. But honestly, your vision has to remain, I mean, these arenas cost a whole bunch of money. It just costs more money nowadays to put on shows like this. So them Eurovision tickets, I think, are going to continuously be going up. I, I, I just think that that's going to be a thing. I think having tickets to see your vision 
for less than 100 pounds in the future is probably going to become less and less of an actual possibility. It's unfortunate, but it's real because, I mean, if this is what's happening at regular concerts, it's going to happen for Eurovision. This is just, you know, natural. I'm not delusional. But I do have to say that I think the thing that I worry about with Eurovision is a little bit of like, what does it mean for the future of the contest and, and sort of the future fan base and audience of the concert? If the, if the cost continues to go up, will that limit possibly some people from falling in love with it? That's like, I think the question that I really have. And I think that that's unfortunate. And I think it's something that like people across industries are grappling. I think it's a real thing. Yeah. Across industries, people are, are having to have some type of reckoning with because I mean, money is everything. America is at least a capitalistic society. I would argue, you know, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 da-da, must be funny. Um, in a rich man's world. Okay. But really, I, I, I do wonder about the accessibility. And then I think the larger piece of this, you know, if we want to hone in, because it's Eurovision for real, so I got to keep it real with y'all. The thing that I really worry about this is, of course, also to how this limits the narrators that we have talking about the contest. Because if it becomes so untenable financially for certain folks to have the ability to tell the story of the contest, to um, interview the artist, that, that's the piece that I worry about. And I think that that's a real thing that the EBU is going to have to like really grapple with because if if it's set up in a way in which only people with money who can afford to travel to go to cover it are able to go now and and this is honestly like yes it's coming from a slightly selfish perspective because I am a woman of woman of color so I, I have that perspective, but I, I want to take away even just the fact that I'm American because that's going to cause a barrier anyway because I'd have to take an international flight. But I do wonder, even for the people of color who are based in Europe, the people in marginalized communities based in Europe, even if they're not worried about a flight, they've got to have a, a stay. And the price gouging has just has reached peak levels of, of honestly to me, shame, <laughs> of shame. And, and I get it. We had a global pandemic. A lot of these companies are trying to recoup the money that they lost. That, I mean, that's just point blank. And even for, you know, the Airbnb host that, you know, didn't have a whole bunch of people staying you know, I get it. I get it. You had a year, maybe two years of not having that income come in. And if you had a mortgage or a, or a note on that house, then you were just footing that bill. And that really sucks. And it's really difficult. And it's really challenging. And so what I am really curious about 
is, you know, as these things just naturally become more expensive because it's inevitable, this stuff is just, it's only going to go up, 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 up. It's only going to get more expensive. You know, the real thing is what, what is the EBU? What are some of these, you know, actual um, publications doing to ensure that it is accessible for their staff even to go? Because if you work for a print, you know, a print, you know, media source, I mean, y'all already cut money anyway. You know, you're not making the loot that you were making because most stuff is digital. So that's real. So you got to keep that in mind. So they might not even have the budget to really send their team there. Or does it mean that you can only sort of send the team of people that you have locally, which I think there's some appeal to having like local journalism and, and local journalists, people who are familiar with the area reporting on it. But when you're talking about something like the Eurovision song contest, this, this global phenomenon and force, you're going to want to have diverse, a diverse set of narrators kind of reporting about it. You're going to want that because if you have that, then that's going to open you up to having more people to consume it. And I mean, and if we're talking dollars and cents for the EBU, if we're talking dollars and cents, you know, for the host city, you want to have as many eyes on what you're doing as possible, period. That's just, that's just real. So the price gouging, I mean, I'll say Glasgow had it first, because when I was looking at places in Manchester, I found some places that were like, okay, this is reasonable. This is reasonable. You know, a thousand, maybe 2K, you know, for like two weeks. Like a thousand, like 1.7K, you know, even 2.7K, like for a week. And this is for like an Airbnb with like two bedrooms, one bath. Let's, let's just say that. That sound, sounded realistic to me. Glasgow, I was looking on Airbnb and I mean, I literally saw places go from like where I had pulled it up. And, I, and this is not me booking it. I didn't book anything ahead of time. Just looking at it, I saw places triple. I saw places quadruple in price. Like I saw places for two weeks that were 15K. Like go from three, 3K to 15. And this is like US dollars. That's a lot of that's a lot of money. And and to me, that's not inflation, it's greed. Inflation is okay, you know, maybe my Airbnb normally would be like, eh, like let's say 3k. Two beds, you know, modern accommodations, we've got good reviews. Let's maybe amp it up to like 5k for 2 weeks. That's inflation to me. Like from 3K to 5K. 3K to 15K is greed. I don't care how you want to paint it. I don't care how you want to dress it up. It's greed. It's people being greedy. And if you ask me, low-key kind of devilish. But it also tells me, well, maybe they just don't want any people staying there. <laughs> like maybe they don't want nobody staying up in there. Because... 
you know, and maybe they're just like, if we raise it this high, no one will book it. And then, you know, as we get closer, we can get the short term stays that we're looking for. I don't know. I don't know. But the price gouging has gotten to a place that's crazy. And I really, I know the EBU already has to do work to do hotel blocks, you know, for the delegations and things like that. And I, I, I'm under the impression that in the past, they did do some hotel blocks for journalists. I, I don't, that's not verified. That's not verified. I, but I feel like I've seen that because I, I vaguely remember being on the Eurovision like website years, years, years ago. This is pre-2016, pre-2015 even, pre-2014. Like maybe I'm thinking like around 2012, 2013, where I, I remember seeing like, and maybe I made it up, but like an accommodations tab like a tab of people, like an accommodation tab. So like if you are traveling to experience your vision, you could stay here. I deeply encourage the EBU to figure out how to maybe do something like that for some of the press, for some of the press. I also think that they should consider something like a, you know, maybe scholarship, internship opportunity, um, for people from marginalized communities, period. For women, for queer folks, for, um, you know, languages that maybe don't get represented a lot in the press corps, for Eurovision. I, I, I think that that should be a thing. Um, for people of color, like figuring out some type of maybe internship or scholarship opportunity, I don't know, um, because I do think it ends up making the contest better, point blank. You know, and maybe this is just my uh, woke American uh, perspective, but if it's that, I own it. Own it. Um, <laughs> if that is what that is, that is something that I am willing to take on and own because I think that it is, it's important. This is about the future of the contest, the Eurovision Song Contest. Breaking news, folks. You know, Europe, Europe is changing. The whole world is changing. And we can't have the same narrators. We can't have the same messengers purporting a lot of these messages. We just can't. We have to evolve. We have, we have to make sure that our media and our press corps are reflecting the people on the ground because if the people don't feel reflected, then they will opt out. And that's the same thing, that, the same thing goes for the performers. I think that that's real too. At Eurovision, you know, and, and there's a lot of Eurovision purists in, in the fandom, gatekeeping. Uh, I'm, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm going to say it. But this is the Eurovision for real podcast, so I'm going to say it. They're like gatekeeping Eurovision as like a celebration of like white culture. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want it to reflect the way that Europe is now. I'm not saying everyone. I'm not even saying that this is popular thinking because I don't think it's popular thinking, but it's real. It's real thinking. There are people who really say this stuff. I've been in these Eurovision streets real long, and there are some dark corners <laughs> in Facebook groups and, and Twitter chats of people saying some real wild stuff, real wild stuff. So 
Um, yeah, I the price gouging is like crazy. And then, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to forget this. <laughs> the coronation of Charles is going to be May 6th. May 6th. We've got Eurovision going down basically the following week. Let me, let me have this clear. So we have the coronation on the 6th. We have the Eurovision grand final on the 13th. We've got our semis on the 9th and the 11th and the 11th of May, respectively. So some people were probably planning because they've been limiting, you know, the access to the rehearsals and stuff like that. So some people were probably thinking of like maybe flying in on the third, right? Like that would totally make sense. Or the second. Well, guess what? You and everybody else is going to the UK to be at the coronation. So forget about getting them cheap flights, okay? <laughs> forget about getting them cheap flights. It's probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Because again, we had a global panty. We had a global pandemic. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these companies need to get their money back. They lost a lot of money over the course of two, you know, three years. And so they're filling in the gaps. And some of them are being greedy, with it. Some of them are being greedy. So this is the other thing. You know, a lot of folks, and, and, and this is one thing I love about the Eurovision community, because it really does feel like a community. I've had people offered up, well, you could totally stay on my couch now with love. I'm a grown ass woman. I'm not staying on anybody's couch. <laughs> I want to stay on my homegirl's couch that lives, you know, 15 minutes away from me. I appreciate you, but I, I cannot do that. I cannot get on a plane fly somewhere, fly somewhere, spend a whole bunch of money to sleep on a couch. Like, I, I, I will not be my best self. <laughs> I will probably not be, you know, looking great um, because I will not be getting the sleep that I so desperately would need. But I appreciate y'all. I see y'all and I love y'all. I would also say, you know, the idea some people have thrown out there, oh, well, you know, one of the benefits of Liverpool is it is an accessible city. It's, it's a city that, it, that folks can get to, and, um, and so you could maybe stay in the outs outskirts. Here is where that becomes problematic for a person like me. If I'm supposed to be covering the event and going to the rehearsals and stuff, I'm going to be spending so much money on transit and then so much time in transit to get there. One of the big lessons I learned from Tel Aviv was that I, I got to stay walking distance to the arena. I, I never did that before because I was like, oh, well, you know, it's Eurovision. I'll go to the arena, you know, for this stuff, but I want to stay, you know, maybe in a city center, maybe in like kind of a touristy area. So then I can have a nice balance. I can make sure that I'm experiencing, experiencing this, experiencing, Lord, the city and working and having a nice balance. Um, but ultimately, it's just not effective in the, in the long run because um, you can miss opportunities. And for me, I completely missed the grand final in the arena because I literally could not get there because I, I stayed not walking distance of the arena, which was a fail. So I learned my lesson and I was like, in the future, I, I know what I'm doing. And even and when I did Melfest, because Sweden is like weird for me because Sweden, I just feel so comfortable there. But even when I went to Sweden for Melody Festival in, in 2020, 
I was like, I am staying near Friends Arena, okay? I had like, and it's so funny, I'll tell y'all maybe one time. I had an experience where I I got so lost in Sweden. I have never been lost in Sweden, ever. And I was so turned around and my phone wasn't working. I couldn't even request an Uber. And I had to like meet someone at Friends Arena. Chow, it was a whole hot mess. And it was crazy because I think like, the press person, when she like greeted me, when I finally found her, I feel like she was looking at me kind of like, girl, you should be lucky that I'm here giving you these tickets. And, and I was looking at her like, bitch, do you know that I was just climbing through literally woods and forests to get here because my phone died? I was like, I'm not appreciative right now. <laughs> I am tired. I have leaves in my hair. I have thorns in my feet. Like... <laughs> I appreciate you, but I do not appreciate you in this moment because I just had the journey of a lifetime. I went through Mordor to get here to pick up these tickets. I'll send you an email in three hours after I've showered to show my gratitude, but not right now, girl. (laughs) Like, not right now. Um, I will have to tell that story because it is like a whole hot mess. Okay. But I don't ever want to be in that position. I want to be where I need to be because for me, Eurovision is about being professional and being professional, showing up, being there on time, and, and being there to do the work. And, and I, I know that my ability to do the work will be impeded if I am not in a, in a location where I can just be there. And yeah, and just, and just be on it. No matter what the public transit is doing, I know that I can be there because ultimately I have flown across seas, <laughs> you know, and, and spent evenings of my winter and early spring dedicated to this thing. And I'll be damned if I, if I do all of that and then miss out on anything. It just, I, 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 I take it really, I take it really seriously and, and when I was not able to get to the arena in 2019, that was really, like, not great. So I don't ever want to be in that situation again. So I won't. So, yeah, so everyone's saying, like, I understand it for a fan experience. Like, if I was just going to Eurovision just as a fan, totally. I'd stay in the outskirts. I might even stay in another, like, city. Like, maybe I would just stay in London and then just be like, look, we'll just take the train down on grand final day, you know, spend the day in Liverpool hanging out and stuff, and then we go see the show and then hop the train and go back to London that night and, you know, sleep in our hotel there. You know, maybe I would just do that. But if I'm showing up, you know, to do the work, I gotta, I gotta be, I gotta be on, on, like, truly on the ground and in a place that is, that's close. But I, I, I hear what y'all are saying out there with like, oh, yeah, you could just totally stay in the sea. I don't like, to me, the equivalent of that, like, You'd have to put yourself, like, so in, even in my American mind, because in Europe, y'all just, like, pick up and go places. In my American mind, like, I, there is an hour-long train. It's, like, a sort of, like, a fast, like, a high-speed train from D.C. to Philly, and I think it's, like, an hour or, like, 45 minutes, something like that. Sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes, it, like, it's an hour, but it's short. Like, yeah, I, I'm not going to stay in D.C. and then take the 45-minute... <laughs> you know, train to Philly. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm like, I'm staying in Philly. Like if I'm, if the show is happening in Philly, I'm staying in Philly. Okay. You know, 
if I'm, I'm not staying in the outskirts of, I'm staying in Philly, North Philly, South Philly, West Philly, I'm staying somewhere in Philly. You know, that's, that's also, that's also probably my, my limited American <laughs> mindset, but, but in all, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be going to Eurovision this year. I feel like I'm still kind of paying even for Italy right now. Like I'm still kind of paying for the fact that I went there. And originally when I started doing this work, I told myself that I would do like, okay, I'll go like every other year. And then I think what messed me up was Israel. And mostly the reason why I ended up going to Israel was I had several people from Israel just go, if you come here, you can stay here. I, I worked with the hostel, which was the Abraham um, hostels in Tel Aviv. They were awesome. Like we collaborated on events. Like I got to stay there for free. You know, it just became sort of holistic. I also got to work um, with my heritage. I have, a, I have a video like with my heritage. So it just sort of felt like all of these things are happening um, in the area, it, it just felt like all the signs were pointing to, okay, even though you said you were going to like do every other year, like maybe this is the year where you go. And then I would say on top of that, I got really lucky and found an Airbnb for the three weeks that I was there too. Um, you know, that was super cheap. Like the accommodations weren't that cheap, weren't that um, expensive either. That was like the crazy thing. It was like the accommodations weren't that expensive. Let me level set with y'all too. In 2016, for Eurovision in Stockholm, and everyone says, you know, Sweden and the Nordics in general tend to be really pricey. So let me just level set a little bit. I paid $3,000 and I was in Stockholm for a month. I was there for a month. My apartment in, in Sweden cost $3,000 a month. Okay? <laughs> there are now places, because I think, you know, with Eurovision, the way that the press accreditation is going to go and access, I don't think people are going to get access to first rehearsals. Those days are gone. Let it go. They, they just, it, 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 it takes more energy to be mad about it. Just let it go. First rehearsals are no longer going to be open. So even looking at like, okay, Eurovision will probably happen around this time frame, staying at a place for like maybe a week and a half. For places for a week and a half, I was looking at paying $3,000. Again, 2016, I know inflation is real. I'm not an idiot. Um, but I stayed in Sweden, an apparently really expensive place, <laughs> And, and to be fair, Sweden is pretty expensive. But I paid $3,000 to stay in Sweden in an apartment that was huge, that was a one-bedroom, like it wasn't a studio or anything. It was metro accessible. No, it was not walkable to Globin, but it was metro accessible. And it was probably like a 15-minute like a train. It wasn't, it wasn't like a long train. And it was a direct route. Like I didn't have to switch trains. Um, yeah, for 15 minutes, it was 3000 for the month. Maybe 3.2K, including like taxes and like service fees for the month. There are places now for like a week and a half saying that's the price. It's just a lot. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money when you have a mortgage and a child. Uh, so yeah, I, I think... 
I think I just need to say to myself, I'm not going this year. Now, will I probably, you know, come February, check and see what the flights are, see if the prices have maybe calmed down a bit? Yeah, I'll probably do that because I love Eurovision. I want to go. I want to experience it in person. Like that's, I think that that's so huge. But I know that that's not the only way to experience Eurovision. It's just not. It's just not. We get to watch it at home. We get to watch it on television and consume this amazing music and connect with the artists. There's plenty of pre-parties. So I have not ruled out pre-parties. I have not ruled out um, national selections. I have not. Pre-parties and national selections. So that might be what I'm looking at this year. But talking about Eurovision 2023 as it stands right now, Liverpool, to be just simple, to simplify it, I do not have the money. (laughs) I do not have the money. But if somebody wants to be my sponsor and I don't have to have sex with you... I will take that money and go to Eurovision. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Eurovision for Real podcast. I am Alicia Michelle. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. We've got so much to talk about it. I mean, like, there's going to be so many um, new reports on some of the national selections coming up. You know, now that we have our host city, I'm looking forward to finding out who's actually going to be like our presenters, our host of the show. I think we're going to find that out soon. The tickets are probably going to start being put on sale. I think by Christmas, I think in time for Christmas, we're going to have tickets. So we're going to have a really interesting like 2022 pre Eurovision 2023 season. And you don't want to miss a bit of it. Keep it locked here on the Eurovision for Real podcast. Thank you.